welcome to yet another episode of Rich Chang's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. My guest today is the stand-up veteran, John Maloney. He's a very interesting and funny man. I hope you will enjoy the show. Hey, look, Christmas is coming up, and that's a very serious time where we have to think about Jesus, but also getting presents for our friends and family and ourselves. And some presents you might like to get for your friends and family or yourself are the Emergency Questions book, the original one, or the Christmas Emergency Questions book, which should be out by now. Go to gofasterstripe.com slash EQ, uh, or just gofasterstripe.com, and you can buy those books, plus any of my DVDs if you're into that stuff. Also, I am on tour in 2018, and why don't you get tickets for that for someone, or ask for them from Father Christmas yourself. I am going to Northampton, Dorking, Chorley... Next page, Leicester, Norwich, Cambridge, St Albans, Banbury, Cardiff, Bath, probably uh, Sutton Coldfield, uh, the Flavel Festival in Devon, Harpenden, Swindon, Worcester, Brighton, Colchester, have you heard your town yet? Market Drayton, that's not real. Glasgow, Walsall, Canterbury, Eastleigh, Eastleigh, Dublin, Belfast, Yeovil, Milton Keynes. And then the further dates are in Corsham, Salford, Henley, Great Torrington, Exeter, Wolverhampton. Will I be in the big room? Let's find out. Kettering, Nottingham, Scarborough, Leeds. Not yet, over yet. Bury St Edmunds, Birmingham, Maidstone, Gloucester, Barnard Castle, Newcastle, Hartford, Bishop, Stortford, Bristol, Aldershot, Bedford and Warwick Arts Centre. I imagine I'll be in London too. We haven't settled that date as I speak. And I imagine we'll be in Cheddar in Somerset as well. And a few more may be added, but... Those are all the ones I know for now. Get those tickets, my friends. Buy them now before the tour sells out. Yes, that might happen. So listen to what I'm saying. Anyway, let's listen to another Richard Harris Leicester Square Theatre podcast with John Maloney. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who had nearly five hours sleep last night and feels that was a lot. It's Richard Harris. I tell you what, you're much better than last week's audience. They were, they were cunts. They were cunts. <laughs> so welcome, welcome to Rich Chains Leicester Square Theatre podcast. I was uh, opening a bank account, the Gyra Bank. Uh, <laughs> open your bank account, Britain is the National Gyra Bank. You get a chequebook and everything. And um, the, the woman served me, she called it relish. I don't know if that's, that's going to catch on. So yeah, I mean, it's... it's um, it's weird being back having a two-week-old uh, child again. I mean, yeah, I know my kid, ch- child's been two weeks for a, for a long time for you people at home, especially giving me order we're putting these out and you're going to be very confused. But uh, it's... Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's just not, not really getting any sleep, but you kind of end up in this in a wonderful kind of place where you imagine everything you're saying is brilliantly funny and uh, flights of fancy. You just don't know. I'm not sure most of the time if I'm asleep or awake at the moment and uh, whether this is a dream or real. I'm presuming from the way everyone's just sitting, staring at me cross-armed, this is a dream. So it's fine. So I'm going to just crack on. I'm just going to get my cock out. What? No? See, I'm a modern man. That woman said no, so I will not get my cock out. Is... Are you sure? No, I'm not sure. Just have a look at the tip and then make a decision. Just have a... Then you can make a decision. Make an informed decision. I really should have a scription. I, so it's, uh, but it's all right. This is this is the dream one. This is the dream version. So we're going to be fine. I've decided to keep the uh, the jacket on. We'll see how that goes. Thank you. Yeah, it's good. To, this is uh, from Debenhams. This is my. Uh, this is the suit I wear when I'm fat. <laughs> I've got some really nice suits that I bought for when I was thin. 
Mm. Don't know why I'm, I don't know why I'm looking at you. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Right. We're brothers, mate. We're brothers. It's all good. Uh, but, you know, from a distance, it could be over. You don't, it's not been fitted to my actual leg, that. You'll notice. But that is, that is how much respect I have for the man we buried today. So, uh, it's... He couldn't see. He was in a right old state. So uh, it's um, time to move on. So uh, let's um, <laughs> let's crack. I was going to talk to the audience, but I think it's just best I don't. It's best I stop. I've just had a restraining order saying I'm not allowed to talk to anyone in the front row anymore. Quite rightly so. Uh, so uh, our guest this week uh, is probably best known uh, from his appearance on Die Harold Schmidt Show. That's why we're here to see him. Ladies and gentlemen, will you please welcome John Maloney? Hello, John, how are you doing? Oh. Yes, sit, let's sit. sit down, sit down and make yourself at home. All right, okay. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Good, thank you. What's uh, weird about this is that I remember one of the first times I'm, I met you where we actually spent a bit of time together was about 10 years ago in Montreal. That's right, yeah. And um, when I first started in comedy, which is far too long ago, um, I was always quite intimidated by you. Really? Yeah. Because <laughs> I just saw this kind of force of nature, this kind of intellectual giant of comedy and, and you know, somebody who could just weave gold out of shit. Um, <laughs> funny shit, obviously. And then when I met you, I realised you're just like the same as the rest of us. Yeah. And that's nice. Oh, good. Well, that's yeah. nice to know. I think there was a compliment there somewhere. There was. Uh, so, uh, there was an absolute compliment. I just, that's very I just, nice, I just wish that we much. could be friends. Yeah, we're nice. <laughs> <laughs> I've always Well, you know, I think what's, what's interesting is, is being a comedian, which is... Um, I, was, I think I might mention this in another podcast, but with Sean Hughes, who um, sadly died last week, and we just, I've just been at his funeral. He wasn't someone I saw a lot, but I was talking about this to Ed Byrne when he was doing the podcast, I think backstage. But as comedians, you don't see each other for five or six or seven years, and yeah. then you just see each other and you just back into the... It's, I think the kinship of the job... Yeah. Uh, and the fact that, you you know, you, that's just the way it is, isn't it? You're yeah, on a bill with I each other, so. and, then you, and then you'd see each other, and you're sort of back to where And then there's people that you grow up in the industry with, yeah. who then you don't see as often, because either you get busy, or, you know, they get busy, you both get busy, and, you know, then you're with, like, families and stuff, and so you don't... I mean, a, a, a friend who I grew up with in the industry was uh, was Bill Bailey. Bill and I started yeah. around the same time, when he was in a, a double act called The Rubber Bishops, who were superb. Um, and so we, we kind of knew each other well, and, yeah, and he's the same kind of person. If I don't see him for two years, or we chat on the phone occasionally, but like, oh, well, well, John, how are you? Yeah. And it was like it was yesterday. And of course, there is a kind of uh, kinship in this business, and they have a, a comedian's Christmas party every year in the first week of January that uh, the lovely Susan Murray um, puts together. So it's where the comics can uh, download after being attacked verbally and physically over the Christmas period <laughs> by. Uh, by the British people who are so good at Christmas. Um, <laughs> you know, and it really is the time of goodwill. Um, so the comics, and, and the thing that she always puts out in, in the uh, advert for the, for the night is, uh, no civilians. Right. And, I, and I know that sounds like a rather sort of odd, odd word to use, but I, I get exactly what she means. Yeah. That, that, you know, that sometimes it's just, you just need people who are as mad as you in the same room, yeah. you know. Well, it's good that people come from lots of different backgrounds as comedians. They certainly they, do. And it's... A, it's Whatever people say and whatever say, oh, you've got an advantage because you go here or you come from there. But actually, you've got to be able to make people laugh. And, yeah. And, and that's, that's it. So you've got to be good at what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, when I started out, I, uh, I, th I, I was always I was very angry about everything, of course. 
Um, my first act, I was called the Angry Young Accordionist. Um, I know. And, um, and I used to go on stage and rant and rave about the politics in Ireland and Red Wedge and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I used to play the accordion in between ranting at people. And uh, one of my opening phrases was, the definition of a gentleman is somebody who can play the accordion but chooses not to. Um, <laughs> which then I would follow up with, because uh, Oscar Wilde, in fact, actually said that. Nice. You know? yeah, yeah, he was hilarious. Um, <laughs> just, just, um, but then again, he also said one night, not tonight, Lord Bowsey, I've got an ass like the flag of Japan. But they never talk about... <laughs> they never... Um, it, that quote isn't quite as famous. <laughs> Was that a bit rude? Yeah, that's as rude as you like on this. Don't worry. Uh, so, um, well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about uh, before we get on to the Harold Schmidt show, which you're best known for. Uh, oh, yes. please, um, uh, <laughs> but the Red Wedge. So you started off as a musician, is that right? Yeah, I was. Sort of... I was uh, an Irish. I'm from an Irish family, uh, and so my John parents, Maloney. I know who'd have oh, thought. Yeah. I know. Well spotted, Morse. So, um, <laughs> so I, I, I was. I played the accordion from a very young age, uh, eight or nine, ten. I started at that age and used to play in all the Irish pubs and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then my my girlfriend at the time got back from, uh, she was the president of the Students' Union in about 1983-84, and she came in one evening and said, oh, they're putting this thing called Red Wedge together, um, which was kind of artists for labour, essentially. Um, and they, she said, oh, they're looking for a secretary, somebody who can sort of like take all the minutes and stuff. And because uh, I was a student, I was doing nothing. <laughs> so, um, you know, I was uh, studying German. I eventually became a German teacher. Um, well, I wasn't German when I was a teacher. I was, <laughs> I was teaching the language rather than just taking over other classrooms for no apparent reason. I was just, I was teaching rather than, you know, their, their, their kind of genetic urge. It was just a thing. It was a language thing is what I'm trying to say. Um, my granddad actually uh, shot down two German planes. Unfortunately, he did it in 1971. <laughs> but... Um, he said, uh, you, you could never be too careful. And the way, <laughs> the way things are going, he's probably right. Um, yes, yeah, so Red Wedge, yeah. So they needed a secretary for Red Wedge. And uh, Paul Weller used to turn up because he, he'd left the jam and gone into the style council. So the first few meetings, I was just sitting there like, uh, you know, it's like, like kind of the rush of, rush of no blood from the head. I was you know, just almost like in fainting mode, seeing one of my heroes uh, used to go to most of the meetings. And then eventually slagged off Red Wedge. He said it was too political. Uh, the clue was in the title, mate. But, um, you know, it was, it was just I was being pushed around by politicians. No, you weren't. You were, you were hopefully uh, selling, selling the, the Labour idea to, to youngsters. And, like, Billy Bragg was, was there and people like Lenny Henry would come along. And so I, it was just, just amazing as a 20-year-old boy to be sitting with these kind of cultural musical comedy icons and, and um, you know, you'd go, oh, do you want to go for a pint after? You'd, you'd be sitting in a pub in, like, Stockwell with, you know, Jerry Dammers and Paul Weller and, and it was just, just amazing. And, and then, then we, uh, Addison Cresswell, God rest him, organised the Red Wedge comedy tour. And I had the balls to phone him up one afternoon and said, do you know what you need during the interval? You need somebody to play the accordion. <laughs> And Addison, who was a very famous agent, he, he passed away a, a few years ago, unfortunately. Um, so you've, you've, got, you've got some balls, mate, to fucking just call me up and say that, you know. So, uh, yeah, so, well, uh, well the, the students mass disappeared into the student union bar to buy a pint of bitter for seven pence. I sat in the interval playing the accordion and eventually got moved to second on the bill after, <laughs> after Craig Charles d doing some poetry because you should always follow poetry with an Irish London accordionist. <laughs> it's been the classic theatre move ever since. Uh, 
I believe it heavily uh, influenced people like Bogdanovich these days. He generally <laughs> puts an accordion player in... Um, no, he doesn't. That's just nonsense. <laughs> so, so that was Red Wedge, yeah. and I loved every minute of it. Loved every minute. You know, you see these stars and stuff. Yeah. How successful was the Red Wedge tour in getting the Labour? Uh, we lost. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lost in 19 because yeah, the election was 1985, oh, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And then and then they hang on hung on with all us in, until 1991, wasn't it? And then us lot came in in 97, I think. Well, yeah. I can't remember exactly. No, no. It, 1987 was the election. That's it. June the 11th, 1987. That's right. Suddenly it all kicked in. <laughs> suddenly the OCD kicked in. So yes. Uh, yeah, we lost, um, but uh, don't blame me. <laughs> I did my best. It's all down to the accordion. Yeah, Everyone I was saying, I'm going to vote Labour. Oh, not the accordion. Yeah, oh, no, God, there's a bloke playing a Palace of Prani <laughs> dual couple of BC accordion. Oh, no, it's just, I just, I hate chromatic accordions. <laughs> so uh, basically so. you just started doing jokes around that and then the accordion yeah. kind of got... Yeah, the accordion, the accordion <laughs> thankfully, uh, got squeezed out. Hey! Oh, you've got... Um, got squeezed <laughs> out. Um... As if you'd only thought of that joke I at know. the time, you'd still be using I'd still it. Be, I'd still be doing the interval. Because uh, Jim Tavare stuck with his... Uh, the double bass, of course. Yeah, double uh, bass. And, and it, but he was funny. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I was shit. I, I was genuinely... I mean, uh, maybe some critics consider that still to be the case, but uh, I would just like rant about something. I remember doing gags about... Um, if the Republic of Era, or Era as it's called, uh, Ireland, had been called Nicaragua, you know, we might have, people might have had a bit more of a consciousness about it like that. And, pe- and then, that, yeah, so it was just rubbish. And at the end, I'd sort of go, Thatcher's rubbish, hooray! And then, you know, then I'd get booked again. So um, it was that, it really genuinely was that simple in those days. You know, tawdry gags, hate Thatcher, done. <laughs> Repeat gig. And so after that, did you go into? Did you leave the comedy behind for it and go into teaching, or well, were you still doing the comedy during the teaching? My father, God rest him, said um, to me, "Get a trade before you do any of this comedy nonsense." So while I was doing open spots and stuff, which is unpaid gigs where you you go up and you try and do a bit, and then hopefully you get paid by the club. Uh, he was and sensible enough as he was. Um, uh, said, "No, get yourself a proper job just in case uh, it doesn't work out." And um, well. 28 years full time now, so it has kind of worked out. But I, I understand that he that he was right. I guess I did it in order that he didn't have sleepless nights rather than yeah. me. You know. Well, I think again, it's a similar. When I went wanted to do comedy, you know, it was the same thing for the, our parents' generation. Yeah. It was just a no, an absolute no go. There was no reason why anyone who hadn't worked in showbiz and had no. See, that's you know, exactly to, right. And I think the thing that he. The only time I think that he thought that I'd kind of made it, as it were, is when I would phone from exotic places. You know, like I'd phone up from like Hong Kong or something, or Sydney Comedy Festival or Melbourne. I'd phone up, oh, Dad, Dad, I'm in Melbourne. You know, like, Eileen, quick, get to the Ford. He's in, he's in Melbourne. Cheers. He's in Hong Kong. You know, so the, the fact that I was allowed to get on planes to, to do what I do meant that it had a certain validity for him and, and, and for them, I suppose. Yeah, but I just remember when I was, you know, when you're in your 20s and getting flown out to... Canada or yeah. Australia or wherever, it was just, you couldn't believe that no, this was I still this can't. I still can't. I'm, I'm just in, I was just in uh, you know, Bahrain last week for a couple of nights doing, doing some gigs, and it, it's, it's, it still amazes me. I, I still genuinely, firstly, love the job, but secondly, realise how bloody lucky I am that, that for something that you actually enjoy doing, that people will firstly give you money for it, and secondly, show you a bit of the world at the same time. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, just, just amazing. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> So I think you're a very interesting comedian for lots of reasons. Oh yes, and it's quite hard to kind of uh, get get this. Um, uh, I'm a bit down. worried about this next bit. Well, it, well, it's because you. I mean, you you are, are 
been working on the, the club circuit for, as you say, 20, 28 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. I went um, full-time when I was about 25, so yeah, yeah about 28 years. And, uh, and, but you've still... Uh, and a lot of the club comedians go and go, I'm not going to do Edinburgh shows. Mm. I don't, you know, you can't get onto the radio, can't get onto the TV. There's a lot of sort of bitterness, and I think a lot of it is justified amongst... Uh, the yeah. excellent. Well, I think what's interesting, you're doing lots of interesting things. I just think there's so much I'm trying to get into this mm. into this sentence. It's a bit hard to express. But you know, it, you, a comedian like you who's been working for 28 years, the TV companies aren't like banging down your door, going, no, you know, we no, want no, you to no. come and present something. No. Uh, but yet, there's no other job you would do no. where someone who'd been working for 28 years would be looked over, and someone who'd just come in like in the last six months and done yeah this, and this is true there, there are there are um, they, they're now training embryos to do comedy now uh, it's kind of the, like IVF comedy is now happening um, but but that's okay um, I mean there's a, there's a great quote by a comic called Liam Malone who said uh, and I don't, I don't 100% agree with this but I get the sentiment he says comedy is a little bit like sex that people will pay money to watch young people doing it badly than older people doing it well and <laughs> I I sort of agree with that. Yeah. I mean, when I go to festivals around the world, as we are lucky enough to do, um, the older comic, uh, male or female, uh, are celebrated by the fact that they're still bloody well doing it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? There's, uh, there's a guy called um, Erwin, Erwin Barker, who's a Canadian comic, who passed away a couple of years ago, who's in his 70s. But he was just as much celebrated as being on the international festival circuit and on all the international TV galas as some 24-year-old, you know, just, just out of uni, uh, you know, scrabbling to teach German. Yeah. You know, that he, and, and I like that, and I think that's something that we're, we're going to have to find here. Because the older comics here, older, people envisage that they're the kind of uh, Dickie Bow mainstream comics, whereas in fact, we're all getting older now. Yeah, of course. You know, and even people like Les Dawson, I mean, he was 43 before he was first on television. I mean, 43 years old. Yeah. And, I mean, he, his stuff, I mean, one of my favourite jokes is, uh, he says to his missus, he says, uh, and of course this is how he, how he, you know, he says to her, do you believe in reincarnation? And she says, you are. And he says, do you believe in reincarnation? She says, what's that? He says, you could come back as a different animal. So she says, what, I could come back as a cow? He says, you're not listening. <laughs> now, the thing with that, it's, it's, um, you know, if you want to be offended by that, great, there are children starving in this world, so get some <laughs> fucking perspective. But the thing is, um, but that's just, I mean, because that's, to me, that's just lyric, that's got everything yeah. in the joke. Okay, it's, it's good, it's sexist. But what it is, is it's, it's, it's the perfect, because it's got the repetition of the jeopardy, yeah. you know, and it's, it's, it's all there in, in one thing. Well, and it's know? about him, yes. regardless of whether it's, you know, he, yeah. it's about his feelings about his wife, yeah. you know. It's, and it's which, little, which, little, which weren't real, yeah, anyway. Yeah. And it's a, so it's know. a little play within the thing, yeah. so it's a pretending, but it's, you know, that's it, when you... It's the, uh, you, you've been trying to uh, get together, and I think you're doing quite well with this, aren't you? Trying yeah, to get yeah, sort we're, of we're basically live at the Apollo for mm. comedians over fifty. Yeah, I, I, I saw the, the the listings two series ago for the live at the Apollo, and and excellent. Uh, please don't get me wrong, excellent comics, um, but I just thought that they were all just rather on the young side. So uh, yeah. when I was sitting there one night. Um, uh, sniffing uh, an arrogant Sauvignon Blanc. Um, <laughs> it was, it had, honestly, the, the, the bouquet was just um, irresistible. I, um, as was the second bottle. I wrote down, uh, dead at the Apollo. I thought that was quite a, ni quite a nice idea for old buggers like me. So, and then I, I, I sort of put it out uh, in the ether on Facebook uh, last year. 
um, on, it was on October the 28th, oddly enough, that okay. I put it out on Facebook. And I remember that because the day before would have been my dad's birthday, and, I, and I'd, I'd lost him a couple of years back, and I was feeling shit, and I thought, no, turn this, turn this bad feeling into something positive. And then, so I just wrote that down and then put it out there. And loads of comics came back to me, said, well, this is just a great idea, try and make it happen. So we're going into production in, in January. We've hired a theatre. All the comics are, have to be over 50. Um, all the crew have to be over 50. Um, and the other proviso I've, I've sort of said to the other comics is not to mention our age, because I don't want 24 comics going, oh, God, me back, oh, you know. So it's just going to be... Because essentially there are probably 30 or 40 headliners, people who have been headlining massive clubs for a, tw for a quarter of a century who I think just deserve the break. Uh, and I've got, I mean, we all, we've all had our break in terms of that we're actually working and living and doing what we enjoy doing. But there are, you know, people like sort of Pierre Hollins or, or Paul Thorne or Mary Burke or um, Nina Benjamin, people like that, who are just fantastic. And I just think they, they need an airing. And so um, we're actually funding it ourselves. Well, every comic, as uh, I've said, we've got to put £1,000 in each in order to, to get the production budget together. So what we want to do is take it to, rather than sort of make a pilot and go, oh, can we, can we have some more? We're actually going to make eight of them. Yeah. And then just take it to the television companies and say, well, here's the finished product. Here are 24 headliners. Um, and if you don't want it on your channel, why not? Because yeah. that, that would kind of worry me, really. There's a, well, they're not funny. Oh, well, well, these people have been doing it for a quarter of a century. Yeah. Who can walk into a very indifferent room um, where they're not well known. Uh, and, and essentially, so in football terms, they're 1-0 down. Yeah. And within 20 minutes, they're winning 5-1. Yeah. And then they go on to another gig and do the same. And then go to another gig that night and do the same. There, and these are incredible people. They are. There are some... There are, and I know exactly the kind of action you're talking about. I did a benefit gig at the... Uh, Bannon Banana, I can't remember if you were on, but it was like a, a, a I think you might have been, it might have been your, your benefit gig, mm. but it was, but there was, <laughs> I'm very old, I can't remember, I can't yeah. remember, but there was just a, you know, there was four or five guys and they all came on and they absolutely killed it, and yeah, I don't it. do 20 minute slots in clubs very much, no. and it was, and I really struggled to do it, because it's a really difficult, yeah. after they've done so well, and it's made it so effortless. I mean, the hour you know, shows, which I know you've done for many years, and, yeah. and are, I mean, you're, you are so incredibly prolific, and, and just, I mean, fantastic at what you do but an hour show is very different to a 20 minutes I mean you've got a loyal when you go to Edinburgh now people know who you are exactly. and they know they're going to get a great hour because because you know you, you just you've got an incredible comedy brain you're an incredibly funny man and they know that they're going to get that but when it's when it's somebody who as I say is one nil down yeah. uh, you know that that there's as much art in that no, as, as, as there is for somebody doing an hour which might be say like a, a conceptual hour about something but you know I've seen comics just turn a room round which looks impossible and, 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 and just that the art of being able to do that and it is an art um, okay it's not saving lives we're not you know not brain surgeons but you know what I mean there's, there's something still pretty damn impressive about it I, but you know you get so many even doing this podcast I'm, I'm, I get emails from people who are saying you know I was very depressed or you know I was going through something really terrible and this yeah. helped me through and comedy does have that function you know so yeah. these and that, that's I know, I know there's a sort of with comedians there's bitterness and there's you know, there's backbiting and saying, you know, why they're doing well and I'm not doing well. I think mean, there's yeah. a lot of camaraderie as well behind yeah. that. There's but, more know, positivity than there is negativity. There is. But, you know, you can understand there's only a certain number of spaces, I suppose, yeah. if you want to make that move up. And I think a lot, to a great degree, the longer I've gone in my career, I've thought exactly the same as you're saying. Mm. Hey, I, the fact I'm doing this, you know, mm. I'm doing this on my own terms, this is... Mm. This is the success. It doesn't need to go any further than no, that. No, it, it doesn't. You know, you can understand those guys. Yes, um, of course. Uh, uh, who, yeah, who, uh, who, who, who've just 
done every Saturday for 25 years and stormed it and yeah. going, why is this... Why is this kid on TV and I'm not? On TV? Well, you see, that was. I think that's that's the that's a very good point, and that's something that I thought of as well. Because one of the people who I was fed up of listening to moaning about it was me. <laughs> so, so I just thought, well, you know, this can be done. You know, it, it, you know, with respect to anybody who works in the entertainment industry on the other side of the camera, it's not rocket science. You know, you you hire an experienced production crew, you put them in in a in a good theatre, yeah. and and. So, Hopefully, because of their experience, just say, "Well, press, press record, and let's yeah. see how we do." But that's, you know, I think that's a, a good realization. In essence, is a realization that I had in doing this. You know, you mm. can just get on and just do it, do it yourself. Yeah. And you know, I think it's a great idea that everyone put, put some money well, in to do it, and then they've and, invested. But also, in it, and I'll tell you a, a little secret here. There were some comics who are fantastic, but you know what? They haven't got a thousand pounds. They don't have a spare thousand pounds. And there are other comics who are subbing them. Yeah. You know, there's. I can think of three comics who I won't name, so it wouldn't be fair to them. Who have said, I'd love to do this, but I can't find a spare grand. Yeah. But I know three other comics who do have a spare grand and have said, well, I'll pay for them. That's brilliant. And how, I mean, that, that's, yeah. that's pretty damn cool, isn't yeah. it? You know? um, and that, that shows the, the spirit behind it. And then there's another very famous comic who I sent an email to and said, you know, we're a little bit short on production budget. And, and, he's, and he has uh, pledged £5,000 towards the production yeah. fee. And, and, so that, and that's somebody who, you know, is filling stadiums and, and just went, actually, yeah, go on. Yeah. And, and so that, that shows the spirit behind it. Yeah. And, but it's a little bit of a shame that, that, that it has to be like that. It should just, just be that you know, these men and women are, are funny. The fact that they are of a certain age should be irrelevant. But unfortunately, unfortunately it's not. Yeah, but you know, yeah. I think in lots of ways people are breaking through the barriers that are... Yeah. You know, that are there are closed shops in all these things and it's difficult to get through. You know, so yeah. We were talking about backstage, you know... I find it very difficult to get into any of those panel shows, you know, mm. and I think I know I'd be good on some of those panel shows that I can never get on, and, yeah. and it's, you know, and that's all that you've got on TV now. So it's, yeah. it's, 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 so to just do it yourself. But what I like about you, as well as, you know, as well as having worked very hard as a stand up and done those clubs, you have said, I'm going to do Edinburgh, and you do Edinburgh every now and again, you do like every an hour, three or four hour, years, yeah. I go up and do an hour, and um, it's, it's more sit down comedy, really, because uh, it is, I just sort of like, I have a high stool, just put on a shirt and tie and talk. Um, for an hour, um, there's no massive presentation. It's just literally uh, not even a follow spot, just a, just a spot, and um, just, so it's just so I cut down to that. And I try and kind of make the the words do the do the work rather than yeah. jumping up and down. You know, I remember once in Edinburgh, it's not 2010. I, I moved on stage about three foot. <laughs> I was knackered. I had, to say, <laughs> I, had to, I had to take the next night off. It wasn't easy. No, so, um, and that's led, that's led to um, you getting the radio, your Radio 4 show that you've done yeah, I've, a few series of? I've done a couple of series called, imaginatively, called The John Maloney Show. Um, it's me. And, um, and then, uh, who was he? It's just a fat bloke with a lesbian haircut. Who is he? <laughs> Fucking old Katie Lang's let herself go, hasn't she? <laughs> Constant craving, I don't think so. <laughs> Constant fucking chocolate. Um, yeah, so, why did I pretend? That was very Brechtian, wasn't it? Did I break down or did I, did, or did I build the fourth wall just <laughs> no, then? I'm not sure what you did. You it made it a, a fifth wall, I think. It was die Verfremdung's effect. Yeah, I'm feeling a bit alienated. Yeah, grammar school, do you know what I mean? <laughs> But your the, the was it the first series or the second series that a clip got on pick of the year on Radio Four? Yeah, that is a pretty impressive. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was episode. It was episode one of series one. I was doing um, uh, a piece about my cat, oh, yeah. Edward, who uh, was uh, diagnosed as being stressed. Um, uh, yeah, I, I took him to the vet, and then the vet said he's stressed. Um, 
and the, the issue being he sleeps for 23 hours a day. <laughs> so for that one waking hour window, um, he, he can't cope. Um, so, so that was the essence of, the, of, of this sketch that was uh, pick of the year. Um, uh, just about the fact of having to take him to have his temperature taken, which he didn't enjoy. Uh, in fact, he made a noise that I'd never, you know, that's the noise he made as the thermometer entered his anus. And this is the kind of thing that Radio 4 were craving, which is, which is why it was a uh, pick of the year. So, yeah. And then the second series was just, just done all right. That, that was a podcast of the week or something. And then I just found out relatively recently that they've commissioned a third series. So, you know, let's see. It's pretty nice. Well, I'm, happy, I'm happy, you know. I mean, it's obviously... Well, I never thought that... It's, it's, it's a difficult thing that certain things you think aren't your natural constituency or your natural home. Yeah. Um, and then as I, as I got older, I, I realised that most of the prejudice is mine rather than other people's. Yeah. Um, they used to, they, they, I think they used to call it chip on the shoulder, uh, but that's the thing they always used to keep the working classes down. Um, <laughs> the, the, the ruling classes have always done that, inbred syphilitic bastards. But the thing is... Um, so I just turned off the ironometer. Um, so yeah, I, I, I didn't think that that would be my, my thing, and then, and well, it, well, it is, and I'm you know I'm, I'm delighted uh, yeah. because Radio Four is one of those. It's it's this kind of this, this iconic cultural, and, and they say to you you know will you do something for us? And you, wow, yeah, you know I, I I I still have that thing of wanting to pinch myself about it um, because you know I just didn't think it was for me. I don't I can't put it in any less well than that. <laughs> <laughs> and do you think, is there any chance of that going on and getting taken up by TV as well? Well, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I hope so, because um, the, the kind of series of sort of sitcom sketchy monologue type stuff, there's all bits of everything going on. Like one of the episodes last one was me just doing, uh, being at the other end of the phone trying to get my utility company changed. Uh, and we all know the nightmare that is, you know, all the security names and numbers and all this, and, you know, the first school you went to and all this. So, so the, they're all they're all, all sort of self-contained units. Yeah. There's there's no particular continuum. But um, the two most popular episodes have involved my cat, of course. <laughs> you know, you try and write this kind of coruscating, visceral satire about the state of the nation, and and, it, and the funniest episode is the cat having a thermometer put in his bum, um, which generally is quite funny, really, because he did make that noise, and he looked quite disappointed when I didn't buy him dinner. Um, <laughs> Or the vet. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's lovely to have a, a, to have a thing on Radio 4. It is, you know. No, I hope. Yeah. But I just think, because, you know, I think it is a lot of it is about a lot of these things in life, you know, not just in comedy. People think, oh, that's, you know, there's no point in me applying for that job or that university or that, you know, yeah. if you get up and give it a go, mm. you might be proven right. You might, <laughs> you might not get there. But, I mean, but you're, I from an, you're from an ordinary background, yeah, aren't yeah. you? Pretty ordinary well, guy. Parents are yeah. teachers. So and, yeah. Yeah, and Stuart was a pretty ordinary background yeah. as well. And the, and the two of you, Achieved massively. You got to you know, one of the best universities in the world. And, yeah. and I mean, did your career start? Were you doing like footlights? I can't remember. I, I'm it's the Oxford Review. Oh, I don't right. like to talk about going to Oxford, uh, but oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, we did the Oxford Review. So we got. We, you know, I kind of I loved comedy as a yeah. as a teenager. That was my whole thing. I didn't like music. I liked comedy. And do you so think Oxford? Do you think that did help you more than if you hadn't? I'm not sure. Do you know what I'm, I mean? I'm not sure because I'm. I mean, yes, in a lot of ways. Because we met some people and we, sure. and we had three years of, of doing comedy instead of, well, I should have been studying. <laughs> Tell me about I know. Yeah. Uh, so you had that safe environment, but that yeah. could have been anywhere and that could have been another university. Yeah, to be true, because I mean, Manchester but, Uni, 
had a, 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 a hiatus, yeah, didn't it? Ben Elton and all that uh, lot all from that the, lot, yeah. uh, the young ones yeah. in that era. Yeah. So in a so way, it's just finding people you, that you yeah. work with, and and, and Armando and uh, yeah. same, and Ben Moore and um, Al Murray and. Kevin Cecil Allen. He's a genius. Al Murray is. Uh, Al, well, I do this thing every year called the Balam Comedy Festival, which Richard very kindly has done over the years. But Al Murray's set two years ago, that hour, I mean, he's untouchable. Yeah. He is unbelievable. His it, it, energy, the, 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 the writing, the. You know, you just watch it and go, oh, I'll go, go back into teaching. You know? <laughs> and the, all the other comments go, yeah, you're right. Not just me. <laughs> yeah, you, you should go back into teaching. <laughs> Maybe I should. But every other comic's like, ah, oh, well, why, why do we bother doing this? You know. And I think another comic who's very much like that is Mark Steele as well. Yeah. Mark Steele is incredible. I mean, just just the use of language and just the passion of it all. That the way that he can take an idea and just run it to its most ridiculous extent. I mean, that's. I mean, Al said to me. Al Murray said one night that that he, 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 he minimalises everything. Like, what's the most ridiculous position that, that, he, that you could get to in a joke? And then you move backwards from that to build it to there. Yeah. And I thought that's, that was such a, a lovely idea because he, he, he had that great joke about the, uh, the Channel Tunnel train that it takes from Waterloo to, to Dover, takes about like four hours. But once it gets from you know, Calais to Paris, it only takes like a, an hour. You know, the, the fact that it's more efficient, but it is in fact because the driver is English and he just wants to get out of France as quickly as possible. <laughs> it's, it's such a lovely, and what a great, see, he, he would have started with that as an idea and then come back from it. Yeah. And that's, that's why I, I just adore Al Murray. I think, I think the pub landlord is just genius. But what was nice about the Ballon Confess, which I wanted to go on to as well, but you, you draw comedians from a lot. You, you know, you're, you, I, I, when I did it last, Paul Daniels, or maybe the yeah. time for Paul Daniels. Paul Daniels did it two years in a row, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm friends with uh, quite a lot of mainstream comics. Yeah. Jim Davidson is a friend of mine, which generally makes people go, boo, like that, because it's such a lovely, natural, knee-jerk reaction. Um, <laughs> you know, well, you're very different, you're very different politically. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm a fierce Corbynite, and he's... Um, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> but you see, that's one of the reasons that we get on, is, yeah. is that we are so politically different. Yeah. But of, of course, there have been stories about Jim in the papers over the years, um, but there were stories that, that, that don't come out about Jim. For example, um, there was uh, an Asian woman, she was a police officer, she was uh, killed outside in Luton a few years ago, okay. and her husband had a nervous breakdown, because, uh, as one would, um, not surprisingly, of course, uh, and he was going to lose his home and that. And then so Jim put on a benefit at the Luton Empire, whatever it was, and paid off the guy's mortgage. Now, that's not good news for the papers. Papers don't want to say that Jim Davidson you know, has uh, raised money for an Asian family. They don't, that, that, that doesn't suit their narrative. Yeah. And, yet, and yet he did. Now, we could go, oh, he did that once. But you know what? Sometimes just give the guy a break. He's, he's, you know, there, are, you know, there are people of various political hues who... Uh, who aren't particularly nice, but um, I, I'll, 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 I'll defend him. I think, yeah. I think, I think he's, you know, underneath, underneath that complicated, difficult man, <laughs> there is, there's, there's a heart of gold, and there is, and I've seen it, yeah. you know. And then sometimes he can be impossible. Um, just, but that's just, that's just his nature. You know, we go out for a, a Chinese meal after like, doing a show with him or something. I remember he did this one night, he just sat there, and I could just see the, just, you could see the cloud, and he just went, oh, I've just got to go. And then, and then he just got up, like, and, and no, no big flouncy showbiz thing, he just went, oh, no. And, and so, he, so he, he's, he's, he can be a troubled soul, but he's, but yeah, he's, well, but he's a nice, there's, un, a... there's a nice man in there, there is. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry it doesn't suit everybody's... Um, opinion of him, but I can only give well, you I mind. like that about you because I think a lot, you know, as you say, I mean, there's a you're kind of not, not exactly a contradiction, but 
because you're, 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 you're kind of conservative with a small C, I think. You're, yeah. you're very much a family man and you're, a, you're Catholic yeah. and you're mm-hmm. very religious. But you are very, you know, you're, you're very, on Twitter, you're always having a nip at the, you know, the, mm. the less, the more right-wing Labour MPs. And, uh, yeah, in yeah. a friendly way, I think. But no, well, a, well, it's but not that friendly. I want them deselected. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Fucking quizlings. Um, so, yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, uh, Wes Streeting and I, he's, he's, he's the MP for the area that I grew up in. Yeah. Grew up in. Uh, he and I have, a, have an occasional tete-a-tete on Twitter. <laughs> Um, 144 characters of bile from me. Um, it's just my, my opinion was is um, just spend more time attacking the real enemy, you know, attack the Tories. If you spend as much time attacking them as you do Corbyn, yeah. well, you know, we might have got a few more seats. I think the Corbyn is the best thing that's happened in British politics in my lifetime. And I've been involved actively in politics since I was 18 because it's just exciting at last. We've got somebody who actually says what he fucking means and it's just beautiful. Thank you. One person back. <laughs> you know. Well, it's, you know, it's, I, I've... Uh, and the rest rustle their guardians in disgust. <laughs> it's a very divisive figure. And my, you know, I did, I did have a problem with him, and, but my problem really was I thought he wouldn't get elected. That's right, and that was everybody's yeah. problem initially. I still voted for him, but, yeah. he, but, I, still, but it, I didn't think he'd get elected. So it, that is exciting. Yeah, but, but what he did as well, which was fantastic, in his first PMQs, and don't forget, he was very awkward about this, because you know, he was the backbencher who had a conscience while, while the rest of the Labour Party uh, MPs would file out, as he was saying, what he thought about a political situation. So, of course, he was a bit crap for the first few PMQs, but what he did, which was very interesting, is that he would bring up a letter from a member of the public and say, well, yeah. you know, Julie from Chalton. And at first, it was like, woo! And then, actually, that's, that's now become part of the political currency. Actually, yeah, here is a member of the public who has written to me, because these letters have to be real, otherwise he would have been hung, drawn and quartered by yeah. now. Yeah. And, and, and that's... And so, when, when the, you know, the Conservative syphilitic would jeer him. Um, oh, look, oh, look, he's, oh, he's reading a letter out from the great unwashed. I bet it smells of cabbage. Um, and they'll never understand our literary illusions. Um, that it suddenly became part of the... It's now part of the mainstream for, for a member of the public's letter to be read out. And yeah. I, think that, I think that's brilliant. Yeah. And I think momentum is brilliant as well. Yeah. The, fact that, the fact that momentum is going into these various seats to get rid of these bastards. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, uh, we're going, I think we're going to Uxbridge next Saturday to get rid of... Um, you know his name, Cunty the Pretend Clown. Um, <laughs> Boris Johnson, that's the fellow. Um, Ooh, bajabas, something in Latin, ad infinitum. Ha! <sighs> So, yeah, so I think there's well, been some great yeah, movements I mean, I, I agree. And I think, you know, it's, what's interesting... I feel like I need to get my accordion out no, again. Yeah, no, it's good. I'm getting it's, angry again. No, it's interesting. It's, um, <laughs> it's challenging. Well, what's interesting about it, but it's also interesting that Corbyn didn't toe the line in the other way, you know, so you can say all that very much, but yes. when he was a backbencher, he was doing exactly what the other people, what you're accusing the other... Uh, yeah, he was here, but, but there was only one of him, <laughs> see. Uh, and so, and so, so that, that's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah he, he voted against most so of the Labour Party policies. So you have to stay with what, you know, he stayed with what he believed, and mm. so those other politicians are as well, and I agree. But I agree that yeah. the conser- you know, if you're a Labour supporter, the Conservatives. But they're scared the shitless of him. They were laughing at him two years ago. The yeah. establishment, everybody, and now they're scared shitless because what he did was he brought out the youth vote, as we know. And, and that's been the holy grail of politics since, since, since the Attlee government, is to get people between 18 and 25 to vote. And that's what he actually managed to do. And of course, the sneering press called it cultism, of course. It can't just be people, young people for once going, oh, actually, I will, I will voice my dissent or, vo- or voice my agreement with this. Yeah. No, they have to be, they have to be, you know, oh, they're all brainwashed, you know. Uh, but uh, did you see the Tories? They tried to do a Tory Glastonbury. 
That was they, they did they, <laughs> in some some field outside Harpenden or something about you know seven of them turned up with a couple of Jack Russells or something you know what I mean and 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 so it didn't didn't quite work. Yeah, you know? well, I think you know, but I I I think certainly whoever it is, the the anyone under forty and this, uh, the young people who were saying we don't want all our TVs yeah. <laughs> need to get together and and you know, fight against them because they're just getting shafted mm. by older people than us. It's the, yeah. it's, the, it's the cunts over 60 who should be worried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that'll be us quite soon. It will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. And are you, you know, you're a religious man. I saw you, this, you're a uh, man of, I think you're a, 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 a I think, contradictory... Yes. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, very, I'm a yes-no person. Yeah. Uh, I'm a Catholic, yeah. Um, I don't agree with everything within the Catholic doctrine, but you know, then again, I know people who are humanists who send their kids to uh, faith schools. So, um, so you know, we can all have a we can all have a contradiction. Uh, I think that I think uh, uh, Marcus Brigstock always has a go at me about this, but I always say to him, uh, "This is just too beautiful just to be science. It's just too beautiful." And it's a lovely phrase from uh, people of a certain age will remember a song called Ichigo Park by the Small Faces, where Steve Merritt sings, it's all too beautiful. And that phrase stuck with me since I first heard that song when I was 12, 13, 14. And it is just too beautiful. I mean, your son was born a couple of weeks ago. And that is, again, f for the second time for you, I believe, yeah. probably one of, the, one of the most too beautiful things that, you'll, that you will ever see. And I just, I, just, I just think it's just greater than science. I think... Um, Ghosts by the Jam, track two uh, from their final album, is better than science. It's too beautiful <laughs> to just be to just be music. Music is too beautiful. You know, the Mona Lisa is too beautiful just to be somebody going, oh well, you know, well what he could see there was mood and perspective. Now what he could see there was God. So that's how I see it. And um, maybe I'm, I'm old-fashioned, but there we are. But I managed to out Catholic Frank Skinner one night though, because <laughs> I, I beat I beat him on the Catholic stakes. Because uh, a mate of mine is a priest, Father Frank, uh, and I've known I've known Frankie for years, and we went to see a variety show because um, Father Frank's dad is actually Jimmy Cricket, the old the old That's comic. Correct. So me and Frank went to see Jimmy at the uh, Croydon Fairfield Halls, and Frank Skinner was walking in, and my Frank, priest Frank, was facing the other way from him. And when when Frank Frank said, "Oh hello John, hello Frank, how are you?" and my priest Frank turned around, I went, "Yeah, one nil to me." <laughs> so Frank now brings the Pope with him to gigs. <laughs> He's very competitive like that, you know. He goes to mass every day, I think he said. I don't think I could handle that. No. I think, I think also, but sort of once a week or even once a fortnight, I'll be honest with you, sometimes just to have that relative peace for 30 minutes is nice. Yeah. Just to sit there with the people you love the most and then, then you, yeah, you could do that in a restaurant. Yeah, you could, but I do it in a church. Yeah. Sorry. If you do it in a restaurant, you're not actually in Jesus' no. body and stuff. No, there's, there's, there's no... Um, <laughs> What's it called? There's no transubstantiation. There's no transubstantiation. Yeah. You know, um, although the red wine is generally better in restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I don't bang on about my religion really, but I, I just think, yeah, it's, it's too beautiful for science. That's the only way I can put it. Fuck science, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. It's only that. numbers, isn't it? <laughs> it's only numbers, exactly. <laughs> and look. The people at my school who were good at science, right, used to write their names in runic symbols. The fuck is that about? You write your name on your exercise book in a runic symbol. That's, that's dinner money stuff, that isn't it? That's, that's when you take the dinner money off them. Um, and, uh... It's rubbish, isn't it? It's just maths, isn't it? It is, it is. <laughs> 
tell us about the Harold Schmidt show. That's what I wanted about. Oh, you, right. Because you, you were one of the first comedians to do yeah, your yeah. act in a different language, weren't you? Yeah, I, I went over to, to Germany to do a, a, chat, a chat show called um, the, the Harold Schmidt show. And it was basically Harold Smith, essentially. Yeah. Uh, he was a he was a, a brickie from Leytonstone. No, he wasn't. <laughs> and um, he said he was. And his whole backdrop was the same as Letterman. You know, he had the, the kind right. of like Berlin backdrop and all this. And he'd yeah. read out the sort of top ten jokes from the week and throw them over his shoulder and all that. So yeah, he, I got invited uh, to do. I used to do a routine about trying not to fart during sex, um, as you do. Uh, well, try not to, in <laughs> fact. And you know, the idea of like, trying to keep the fart in and all that. And, and, and it's, it's, yes, we like, we like the English humour when you all talk about farting the whole time. You will love your bottoms. Uh, yes, so yeah, I did, the, I did that routine in German and uh, I remember watching it in a pub that night because it was pre-recorded at about five o'clock and I'm in this pub in Cologne and there was just this bloke sitting around the table you could just see their face go, this is shit. <laughs> I don't know, half and scheiße. I'm like, they're not really enjoying this. Um, but it, but it, what, what was interesting was to go to another country and, yeah. and try something in a different language. So, yeah, it was, it was, great, it was great for that reason. Yeah. You know. And so, have you done more than that? Is that the only... Uh, I used to do it in Berlin and Hamburg. There's a couple, yeah. of, a couple of comedy clubs I used to go over there um, and, uh, and, and do it. But, yeah. you know... Not really. I, I try and stick to English. I, I find it easier. <laughs> <laughs> so do the Germans. Yeah. It, well, it's you know, it's a tough. It's very admirable when you see these. Going yeah. I mean, guys I, Ed, Eddie, Eddie Izzard has yeah. really embraced that, but yeah. he's he's embraced it as as that kind of like political internationalism, you know, which yeah. which I think is I think is great. I, I think. You know, I've got a lot of time for him. He's a lovely bloke, as you know. And uh, again, like Al, he's just another one of these geniuses that you're that you're lucky to have met on on your path. You know. Yeah. I mean, there was there's a few people who, I genuinely feel I'm in the presence of genius when I watch them. Yeah. Al Murray is one of them. Eddie Izzard is another one. Uh, Bill Bailey is another one. Yeah. You know, and, and it, not, I'll just just say it because they're massive stadium, you know, iconic comics, which which they are. But then there's you know there's there's people who who you wouldn't have heard of, you just think, this is just fantastic. Yeah. There's a double act called the Raymond and Timpkins Review, yes. for example, who their act is genuinely pathetic. Um, <laughs> and that's what they say. Uh, that's, their, that's their opening line. And if, if you just, just have a look at them online, on or p p no, please go and see them live, and them, just the sense of joy that they can bring to an audience with the most stupid act I think I've ever seen yeah. is, 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 is wondrous. That's the great thing about this. That's the, you know, that you've got these amazing intellectual comics and then you've got these guys who are slapstick, but they're all, it's, it's all still part of the same game and part of the same discipline, you know? Yeah. It's great to watch. Well, without that variety, you know, there yeah. needs to be more variety than probably when you started doing stand-up in the London circuit, there was a lot more literal variety. Yeah, yeah, there was. Uh, I mean, but, I mean uh, Jonglers in Battersea, for example, uh, actually, uh, they had a room above a pub and it'd take about 300 people, but it was an extensive room, and they, 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 they would have trapeze in there. They'd actually put in uh, uh, those kind of like hanging things. So, so people, they'd have a trapeze act, followed by a singer, followed by a stand-up comic. And, but then it all became a bit more homogenised when, when uh, the stand-up show, for example, started on, on, on the BBC. I was lucky enough to be on one of the first episodes of that in about 1988 or so, something like that, I can't remember now. Um, and, and that was very much the, just the genre of just standing there with a microphone and, and telling jokes. And then the, that, got, that got reflected in the clubs as well, which yeah. is why I wasn't then doing as much music as I used to do. Well, firstly, because I probably wrote some more jokes for once, and I wish I could write a few more. Um, and, and so that's, that's you, could, you could see that happening. You could, you could see the standardization of it. But, yeah. but regardless, brilliant people still came out of that. Sure. Like the Rubber Bishops, when, you know, who was Bill's first double act, and then, yeah. then he went solo. And 
You know, people like Sean Locke came out came out of then yeah. as well. Just yeah. just just great great comics. And do you think? I mean, it, because it's gone so big on TV and yeah. the stadiums, it, and a lot of the the club comics are struggling. And Jonglers, yeah. you just mentioned, just closed down again yeah. for the know, third or fourth time. But it looks like it might be gone for for good now. Maybe I think so. It's it's a shame because when Jonglers was running well, it was yeah. running well. But but then they were bringing in inexperienced show managers and comics who weren't quite good enough to be headlining. So I, I think some of the quality went down slightly. Um, but I think the difficult thing is now is to convince people to go to these smaller clubs. Yeah. A lot of people, their experience of wanting to go to a live gig is to go to a stadium or, or to go to the O2 to go and see Mickey Flanagan or someone like that. Yeah. Again, I'm not knocking him, he's a great comic, but I so wish that people would still go to the, you know, to the 100-seaters and, and to the 150-seaters and see people who they just don't know. I mean, I do a charity night every year at the, at the, at the comedy store for an orphanage that I, I help to fund, and generally... The people that the public don't know are the ones who kind of go down best because sure. they're a surprise to them that they're as good as they are. Yeah. Um, and also, they're the street fighters. You know, there are comics who are out there three or four nights a week yeah. who are just, you know, they're, they're, they're not at all ring rusty. They're just there and they, and they can just go bang for 10 to 12 minutes. Sure. You know, and as I say, that's why I'm trying to give them a chance on that TV show. Yeah, it's great. And, well, and a club like the Ball and Banana that you're, you're very much associated with is yeah. still, I mean, I was playing that in 1989, that mm. club, and I think it's still as good Well, it is. Every it comic, Every comic who is a comic has come through Banana Cabaret yeah. or, the, or, or the store, but actually Banana more, because, yeah. you know, the, 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 the store is its own entity. It's an amazing, it's an amazing venue. Oh, just up the road from here, as I'm sure, I'm sure people know it, it's just uh, on the other side of Leicester Square. Um, but Banana Cabaret, it, you know, it's, it was still kind of very, it still feels grassroots sometimes. And when people like your good self and Al and and uh, people come back to do it. When I, when I get out my little black book and phone people like Richard to come and do a, a preview, there's never any dissension from any comics because they know that Dave, who runs the club, that his heart and soul is in it. Yeah. So they know the room, they know Dave means it, they know that I'm going to sort of, you know, give them a good intro and an outro and make sure that they're, they're happy and they, whatever they need in the dressing room because I help to produce the Ballon Festival every year. And so people are very, are very loyal to the club because yeah. Dave was there when very rich people now needed the money. <laughs> yeah, but it's you true. It's, it's quite a rare... There are a few clubs. Mm. Downstairs at the King's Head is, is always... That's another one in Crouch End. Superb. Yeah. yeah. Uh, kind of, and the same people running it for, the, for, yeah. for three decades the or same, Yeah, the same people. Yeah. It's amazing. And what's, what's funny now is you're seeing comics... Children are now doing it, like uh, Kevin Day's son has right. yeah. started stand-up comedy. Kevin Day is a great comic. Uh, Mark Steele's son, Elliot, has started to do it as well. So it's funny to see this new generation coming through whose, whose mums and dads um, were, were doing, the, you know, doing the circuit years ago. Yeah. So, so it's, it's a family affair. <laughs> <laughs> Good, I'm going to ask you an emergency question. Oh, God. Yeah. You know, just to change the mood a little bit. It's, it's nice, though, isn't it? It's been good, isn't it? Yeah, see? Yeah, see? I don't know what I'm saying. She's, she came on before she was talking to me saying it won't be any good. She didn't. Um, I've got to find a good one now for you. Um, oh, if you, what, what do you... <laughs> no, wait. I've talked about that enough. Um, have you ever had a dream that accurately predicted the future? Um, I'm having it now. <laughs> I think I'm having it now. Uh, I th our dreams are a very scary thing, aren't they? Yeah. I, 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 I have that one, that anxiety one, which everybody seems to have, where yeah. uh, I'm, 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 I'm sitting in large rooms with no trousers on okay. or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, surely that isn't just me. <laughs> you know, that kind of slightly, those, those kind of vulnerable dreams. Oh, yeah, yeah. I tell you, the, the one, 
the, when I have that disco nap, which a lot of comedians have at about five o'clock, where you have, you have a little sleep between five and six before you go to your show in the evening, that can be the most traumatic dreams, because yeah, they think about, I can't find the stage, you know, and uh, someone like Claire Muldoon from the Hackney Empire would go, where are you? Look, the stage is here. And I'd go down all these kind of different avenue, alleyways and corridors and things. And yeah. So I think that's just a subcon- subconscious thing about yeah, but... actually just being a shit comic. <laughs> <laughs> I have know. loads about doing my A-levels, just constantly, oh, about doing my God. A-levels, and I'm 50 years old, yeah. and yeah, I've yeah. got to go back to school, and I'm that going, why am I doing my A-levels again? God. I've got them. Thank God, because mine is my degree. Yeah. Because I kind of like bluffed my way through my, my degree, because um, I took two years out in the middle as well, I was so desperate not to finish it because I, was, I actually just wanted to, to do entertainment, that you're, you're right, I, I wake up and go, why am I doing my finals again? I've already, you know, I've already yeah. got a bloody two-two, and uh, <laughs> you know, that's that we, that was they used to call it the drinker's degree, didn't they? I, I got a two-two. Uh, I, could, I could find the bar, but not the example. Um, so yeah, yeah, well, I, I'm glad uh, yeah. that we have similar anxiety. But no, I don't think I've ever predicted the future. No. Have you ever fallen out of a hammock? I've fallen out of a bed, but not a hammock. No, but I, I would find it actually physically, just dynamically impossible to get into a hammock. <laughs> so, that, so the actual chance of falling out of it... If I can get in a hammock... You, I love getting in a hammock. Can but you I, get in I, a hammock? I can get in a hammock, but it's, I have fallen out. Well, I tied up a hammock myself. Right. That, I, that then I turned out I don't know how to do knots. And so right. halfway through... <laughs> The, but the is there a glance. technique to getting it? I mean, do you have to sort of like go girth first, I would and then go, just hope that you're that you've balanced everything? I get, I sort of sit in it and then swing. Oh, right. So, so you can sit first. on the edge. Oh, right, arse first, so you get in. Swing around like that. Oh no, that's when I. That's I know that would no. be me flopping out, so to speak. <laughs> I'll be flopping out of my hammock at that point. It's been a long, I got, my wife gave me a hammock for my, one of my birthdays a few years ago, but then I, in the end we left it outside too long. It was on some poles, you right. could, so you could have it anywhere. No, 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 hammocks are aerodynamically wrong for a man of my stature. <laughs> Size, weight. All right, here's a, here's a religious question for you to answer. Oh, no. You, I let, Thomas I let, Aquinas, that's always the answer. I let it go with the science thing. If I you watch University put... Challenge, the answer is always Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> why did Jesus say, why hast thou forsaken me on the cross? Had he forgotten about the plan that he and his dad had come up with to save mankind? <laughs> Do you know what? It is probably just science, isn't it? <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, now, the thing is, is that when you say... <laughs> I do like that. It's very good, you smarmy bastard. But the thing is... <laughs> fucking creationist. Uh, oh, no, no, you're an evolutionist, isn't it? It's cre- I believe in evolution. All right, so do I. Sort of. Yeah, well, I mean, the, you know... It didn't all happen in six days. That's nonsense. Yeah. They took about nine. <laughs> At least... At least. <laughs> That's great. Um, no, uh, my, my God, my God, why hast, why hast thou forsaken me? Yeah. It probably just hurt a bit, didn't it? It did. When you, you'd be confused. Yeah, and it, you know, if you're being crucified, yeah. it's, you know, it's, 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 it's not just, it's going to smart, it isn't it? Yeah. So that was the thing. He was just smarting, you know, like bloody vinegar and he's like, oh, 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 oh what did you do that for? You know, Dad, what's it? Yeah. So, yeah, I can, I can see that. Um, oh, there's a, a lovely joke I, I remember. It's... Um, it's at the Last Supper, and um, Jesus says to, says to the gathered, he says, uh, one of you tonight will betray me. Right? So Peter says, is it me, Lord? And Jesus goes, no. 
Paul says, is it, is it me, Lord? And Jesus says, no. And Judas says, is it me, Lord? And Jesus says, is it me, Lord? <laughs> it's just a great... I love the idea of a sarcastic Jesus, don't you? Is it me? It's brilliant. There are two entries for John Maloney on IMDb, and I think they're both you. Oh, OK. Did you write for TV Burp? For two, Many years two ago, episodes, yeah, yeah, in the first few episodes yeah. uh, of uh, Harry Hill's TV Burp, yeah. yes, I did. Um, uh, Harry and I, again, started around the same time. He started a couple of years later. Than me. Harry was the first... We, there used to be a club called the Red Rose in the, on the Seven Sisters Road in North London, and Harry was doing his first ever open spot. He was still uh, a medic at St George's, yeah. and I was privileged enough to be on the bill that night and watched... Uh, this guy who this is only his like third gig or something right. blow the bloody roof off yeah. and there was uh, I sound like Michael Caine <laughs> only supposed to blow the bloody doors off transubstantiation you've got to be fucking joking um, so yeah so Harry came on and he, his opening line was uh, never go to a candlelit dinner with a moth it was just a great line <laughs> it was just a great line and he had six more minutes of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and, and I, I remember saying to him after, I said, God, man, you blew that away. You were just, just head and shoulders, mate. And he used to go down to a club in Brixton every Friday before he started to watch people. So, right. so he, he, he hadn't cheated. But, you know, but when a lot of us started, there was no, there was no template. You would just yeah. get up there and try and do it. Whereas Harry, at that point, was able to go to a, an established club, the White Horse in Brixton, run yeah. by Roland and Claire Muldoon. And um, he said that he used to go there every Friday. He'd finish his shift and go down there and watch. Um, but regardless, you know, he was still fantastic and, and, and still is, yeah, you know. Yeah. It was a I, I wrote for TV, but for the, about the f first two episodes, so you must have come in after I decided to start. It was a very tough show to write for. It, it, it wasn't easy, and I remember one of the producers was, was quite sort of like whiplashy, you know, yeah. that, that if you can't come up with a joke, you've got to sit there until you do, and that's right. not quite how it... Well, I can't write like that. No, no. I find it quite difficult. Yeah. You know, sometimes at half one in the morning, I'll write something down, and I'll look at it next day and go... Oh yeah, that's got that's got legs. Or I look at it and go, what the hell was that? <laughs> yeah. You know, with some comics like Mark Thomas, for example, was, was always very disciplined. Where he would literally sit there with a blank piece of paper and just write until something happened. Yeah. And I, I wish, I guess, I had that kind of discipline myself, to be honest with you. Yeah. But, you I know. think TV Burt, it was just because you had to watch so much. Yeah. Uh, Dan Mayer ended up working on it for a long time. He's a fantastic scriptwriter. He's done written for loads and loads. Oh yeah, they were the far. But it, I think you have to. I think they were all, including Harry, mm. starting to go slightly insane with that show. Yeah, because you they said you're watching TV normally, and all mm. you're doing is looking in the yeah, background. You're looking in the background to see what's going on, to yeah. see if you can spot the funny thing happening in the background. But Harry, Harry was, as I say, from from day one was fantastic. Matthew Hall. Matthew. Harry Hall he was originally, but then became right. Harry Hill because of some equity thing. Right, yeah. But, but, he's, but he's brilliant. Yeah. Really nice bloke as well. He is an excellent guy. Um, you've got to get someone to collate your IMDB uh, entries so they're on the same page. All right, okay. You're down as a writer, as a separate writer to John Malone. Well, well I'm, I'm, then I'm not sure that... Go and have a look at it. Okay. Because I'm not sure you wrote all of the things, but that was the, I knew you'd written for TV Burp, so I thought... All right, right. Well, what, what do you think I didn't write? Um, let's have a look. Oh, no, don't. Oh, no, don't. <laughs> I'll, I'll show you afterwards. We'll have all right, one. okay. You know, I just, like to, I just like to make sure the internet is correct. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, only, a long, it's a long job to get, yeah. like, go through. Because it's, it's only a little thing to correct, isn't it? <laughs> the internet. And you won the All-Irish Flader. Flader. <laughs> at the age of 14. What is that? Yeah, yes, uh, Flacciol, which is uh, the Irish for uh, music competition. Uh, Cole is music and flat is meeting or competition. And, yeah, I was uh, an accordion player. I won it for a, f uh, a few years. 
when I was young, and it didn't really hold any credibility. Right. Still doesn't. No. You know, to be playing air accordion in front of your mirror, you know, it's far more air guitar. It looks far sexier than standing there going, <laughs> <laughs> just look like a fat butterfly. So, yeah. you know, it's never a good look. No. My yeah. granddad had an accordion. Yeah. He was, he was an Irish fan. Is, is it very much an Irish instrument, or is it just an, I think it's an instrument from... Yeah, I, I, th I think when it comes to music sessions, you need, you need one louder instrument to yeah. keep everybody else in, in check. And so, uh, yeah, yeah I, I did a lot of music when I was a kid. I did, I did enjoy it, although I would, didn't like being in pubs that young, really. I, it was just a little bit scary sometimes, yeah. you know? But, um, which is why I hate them now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I prefer wine bars. Well, especially, look, especially in Ballam. Look, John, it's been lovely to talk to you. I've got to go back to Hertfordshire, so yes. uh, it's a long way. Well, uh, so... Uh, it is. Yeah, I've, I've just got to, you know... Down to Ballam. I miss Ballam. Yeah, but it's, got, it's, go, go back to a house that's got a million pound equity. <laughs> Folk labour. So. No, it's, it's been interesting. I was really scared about doing this. I know, uh, I'm surprised about that. No, you know, I'm, I'm not... I'm genuinely not the kind of hard-nosed fucker that a lot of people think I am. <laughs> you aren't. You no. Um, but, you know, because, you, you know, you, you carry an amazing reputation in the industry, you know, because you're, you know, one of the best comics that, that Britain has, you know, for the last 20, 25 years I've known you. And the same with all the work that you did with Stuart as well. And I know how amazingly successful this is. And I'm thinking, I'm, on, fuck, I'm doing this with Rich Herring and I'm on man to Rich Iannucci. I should be marking books. <laughs> you know. But I've really enjoyed it, and hopefully people would go, who the fuck's he was just saying, oh, he was all right. <laughs> you know. Well, go and see some live comedy. Go Please and, do. Go and you know. see John doing stand-up. Go and listen to John's radio show when it comes out again. Yeah, the John Maloney show. It's, uh, I believe it might, it might be March, April next year. Terrific. That's when it's like penciled to go out. But the other stuff is out there online. And are you planning to go back to the Fringe? Have you got another show in? Uh, I might be going in August, yeah, yeah. because I'd like to run some live stuff through from, sure. from the shows because there's stuff that's written that was performed on radio and I'd like to sort of just make it expand some of it more yeah. to, 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 to a new hour. Cool. I love Edinburgh. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. And, you know, it's, what you're saying is absolutely correct there's, and there's so many fantastic comedians mm. um, out there that I'm, I'm, you know, and, and I'm hoping to talk to lots more. Yeah, well, every them. small, every bit of London you'll find a comedy club. You know, yeah. like in Ballam you, you've got, you know, got Banana Cabaret. In King's Head, in, you know, in Crouch End, you've got the Backyard Cabaret out in, out in Whitechapel. You know, you've got the Bearcat in, in Twickenham. You've got, you've got the Headliners in, in, in Chiswick. You know, there's, there's, there's enough around and you just see some amazing people and then people who are really well-known turn up and try some new stuff as well. I mean, of course, when you've got the store here in London, uh, just here in Leicester Square, of course, it goes without saying, but I'm saying places around London as well. There's still a thriving circuit, yeah. you know, and, and the best of British comedy is out there. So, you know, don't, don't go to a, a stadium and queue up for half an hour for a, a warm lager and watch somebody on a video screen, which I'm sure your kind of discerning audience wouldn't do anyway. They would never do that. No, they wouldn't. Uh, do, do you hear what they, how they felt about Jim Davidson? They yes, never, they I, never, I, they never, I know. <laughs> they I know, they still haven't forgiven me for that. Yeah. No, uh, too bad. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, but, you know, go to your local Jim Carner. Don't go to your local stadium. So, um, sorry, I'm just trying to find the class of audience. Um, <laughs> but no, it's, it's, it's been lovely. Thank sure, you very man. much. Thanks so much for coming on. Ladies and gentlemen, it's John Maloney. <laughs> Listening to Richard Harris, that's Square Theatre Podcast with me, Rich Charing, and my guest, John Maloney. The music is by Pest. I would like to thank all the people involved in making this production. Everyone at the Leicester Square Theatre, everyone at Go Past the Stripe, everyone at the British Comedy Guide, Ian Tunes, all his mates, all that lot, everyone. Uh, probably forgotten some people. 
Uh, my producer is Ash Caffrey. Um, it is a Sky Potato Fuzz and Go Faster Stripe production. Thank you very much for listening. Go and buy emergency questions, gofasterstripe.com. <laughs> <laughs>